Sam was gone. The voices overlapped. I couldn't identify which adult spoke each phrase, and I could not, in any way, answer. Sam! Sam! Who was watching Sam? Did you put his life jacket on yet? Do, do you have Sam? I was packing the picnic. Cappy had him. Cappy had him? No, Boyd had him. Yes, Cappy. Cap, where is he? Where is he? Is he hiding behind the old oak? Shit, quit arguing. Find him. Find him. Ellie's voice rent time and space into the before and after of Sam. Find him. Nothing. No answer. But not silence, either. Just the clamor of screeching seagulls, arguing blue jays, croaking frogs, peeping cicadas, slapping waves. Sounds of nature as harsh against Sam's silence as the mangled screech of metal against metal. I turned to Boyd, who stared at me with his mouth open, as if unformed words were trapped in the same place as Sam's breath. I looked up to the top of the dead oak tree, to the screeching osprey in her nest. She stared down at me with her yellow eyes, then covered her babies with her wings. I ran sobbing with a violent realization of Sam's death. My childhood was destroyed, never to be repaired, never sewn into a whole piece. It was my fault. Nothing good could ever come to me again. 1. 18 Years Later I had always felt life first as a story. G.K. Chesterton I knew I looked like a complete fool, standing on the front step of the porch in drawstring pajama bottoms and a tank top, watching Thurman drive away in the gritty light of pre-dawn. My unruly hair fell out of a tangled ponytail while a strap slipped off my shoulder. The taillights of his car moved down the street like two open eyes staring at me, and I hoped, in vain, that I'd see the brake lights, that he'd stop, turn around, and remember it was my birthday, that he'd throw his arms around me and say with a laugh, Oh, Catherine, how could I have forgotten it was your 30th birthday? I would hug him back, kiss him, and run my hand up his neck and through his blonde hair before he left again. But of course, he didn't return to me. He was late for his trip to Alabama. In our four years together, this was the first time he'd ever forgotten my birthday. I saw this fact as a bad omen, even as I told myself it was probably nothing more or less than the result of forgetfulness, fatigue, and preoccupation. I sat and watched the streaks of morning come over the South Carolina mountain peaks in a stretching, yawning awakening. I closed my eyes and grasped like a child for that elusive but palpable sense of possibility I remembered from childhood birthday mornings. I'd once believed that each new year brought me closer to becoming one of the beautiful and brave characters in the novels piled around my bedroom. This, I would think when I was young, will be the year I'll be as curious as Lucy in Narnia, as courageous as Scout in Mockingbird, or as cunning as Nancy Drew. In that fateful summer of my twelfth year, however, I discovered that such storytime fantasies were not, and never would be mine. No Atticus would rush to my rescue. No clue in the old clock would fix my family. Aslan would not save me from my sin.
For some people, sudden realizations in life come in one breath of their own, but mine had come in a breath not taken by another. Now, at thirty, I had found all I needed in the sweet, real world of Cedar Valley where I lived. The mountain peaks forming a torn-edged horizon like a castle's crenellated walls, protecting me within a bowl of neatly laid-out streets lined with well-established homes and mature trees. I never climbed to the top of the surrounding hills to enjoy the distant vistas other people talked about after hiking up the mountainsides. I was content in my leafy bower. I hadn't left Cedar Valley, except for family vacations to Disney World or the Florida beaches to visit Dad's parents in Sarasota, since I'd moved here 18 years ago. Even those few times I had traveled with my parents, I didn't feel completely right until we returned. Away from home, it seemed as though every encounter and experience held more import.